show. This is War Council, a hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. My name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. Uh, and uh, I feel like we're getting more confident with our intros now. That was definitely I, very confident. It felt, <laughs> it felt good overall. Um, yeah, I, I always I always don't know how to start. Like I need to. I don't listen to the radio, so mm. I never know how radio DJs start their shows. Do they just say good morning or like? I never. Morning? Well, I'm never on like when they introduce themselves. So Should we have a like, sign in or something like this? <laughs> like a, a specific like roll call or like some shit like that. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm I don't know. struggling with it. I like the hello, hello, welcome to the show. <laughs> All right. So this is episode 30. Uh, on the show today, we're going to be interviewing great JoJo Man of Enter the Wolf Time. This is our sculpting and conversions episode. Uh, we're going to be talking to all you would-be sculptors out there about uh, the hobby. And specifically, we're going to talk to JoJo Man about his work. And um, I'm just a big admirer of his work. I really like it. Part of it is because he does so many conversions. And I conversions are kind of one of my things that I love to do. It's something I always look forward to. So we're going to talk with him a little bit later on the show. Um, it is uh, May 22nd. We're about a week or so away from um, July 4th. Well, I guess technically two weeks. Yeah. Two um, weeks. Do you have any plans for the holidays so far? I do. I'm actually going to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Visiting really? my brother. Yeah, me and my oh, brother going shit. out there as our last, like, who we're all together before he goes off and gets hitched. Yeah, because he's about to get married. Yeah. When is the date? It's actually the end of July, end of July, so we have a few weeks, but we're moving out. So yeah, I was going to say that there's um, there's big changes ahead though. So he's yeah. moving out, you're moving out, mm-hmm. um, all in early early July, um, and we're about to um, you guys you're about to move into um, a house. Uh, well, I guess it's a townhouse, or it's an apartment. It's an apartment, it's yeah. Apartment. With um, two of the other guys, all part of um, White Metal Games. Um, one mm-hmm. of our painters, Valentin Malek, and then my assistant, um, Jonathan Sturrock. So you guys are all going to live in a house together. Yeah. So it actually worked out. It's like real world hobby or something like that. (laughs) Real world. You could ever run reality TV show. Real world hobby. (laughs) That would actually be okay. I I would be okay with that. I'll just go around with a camera. The drama between like (laughs) artists. We have to play it up a little bit. Stop taking my paints. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how this kind of came about. Um, Mm. You know, a year or so ago, you came um, to Raleigh um, with your brother. You were looking for work and you were looking for a paint studio. So you Mm -hmm. reached out to me. That's been great because yeah. your work uh, it has frankly allowed us to expand our operation quite a bit. Um, and through that, we um, got more demands for more work, and we needed more help. So we reached out to the community again, picked up a few new artists, Valentin and Dennis, and Jonathan came on as kind of a part-time assistant. And um, we, with Valentin specifically, he lived in Northern Virginia. So the remote painting thing is kind of the pits it's kind of yeah. shit um you're trying to upload photos download photos you're shipping mailing it to you, shipping yeah. it back and forth it's just a mess um so I, I basically said like look i'm willing to try this on a trial basis for a while but if this is going to work you're going to have to relocate and surprisingly he said yes mm-hmm. so he is now um i think he's actually vacationing this week with some, yeah. friends, some painters he's and, in canada right he was talking about some he goes to canada going on. <laughs> so <laughs> get some friends all the eh? Eh? yeah <laughs> the many wargaming guys right there i suppose oh yeah as much, but we know how i feel about them so. <laughs> um so anyway so in early july he'll be joining us down here in raleigh and jonathan um who is moving uh, in with you guys kind of mm-hmm. so there'll be three of you all in a house together yeah and um, my dog and your dog and Jonathan's turtle <laughs> yes he, he, he cannot shut up about this fucking turtle yeah like he keeps telling me about like 
how he loves it. Not, not like in a weird <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, right. But right. like, like we were over at the game store the other day, and it was like, Fins and Fangs, I missed that place. And they were a game, they were a game store. They were a pet shop that specialized in, I'm going to go with fish and snakes. And snakes, I guess. Yeah. That's weird. Okay. Um, and clearly that Fins niche market fangs. did not do well. <laughs> yeah. Like, there were not enough of a client base. Like a lot of dark bought. people coming in with like. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Black hey, I'm looking, I'm looking for snakes, and I'm looking for turtles, and... Um, I don't know. Uh, as long as he doesn't let the turtle roam around the apartment, my dog won't eat it. Okay. So that, that's my only concern. But I think it should be fine. <laughs> so um, are you excited about living with two other commission artists, two other painters? Is that going to be like, is this yeah. a, kind, of, kind of a neat idea? Right? I think so. I mean, it worked out nicely. We have a garage that you're going to be able to put some of your stuff in. Studio so we're going to kind of work all together, which is cool. Um, I've always kind of had that dream of working with a group of artists in kind sure. of like a studio format and kind of bouncing ideas off of. So I think this will really open up some. And it's close enough to my house. Like one of the things you did really well is you picked a place that's not too far away. Mm-hmm. So it allows us to quickly get back and forth. If I need to drop over once or twice a week, it's easy, it's fast. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be moving some of our operations over to that studio <laughs> or the garage over there. We're going to retrofit it a little bit. So we're going to be able to expand our operations. We're going to be able to jump into terrain and more. We're going to be able to do some casting. Um, we're going to be able to expand and do battle reports in the main studio. Um, so it's overall, it's just a, it's a great soft transition mm-hmm. to a bigger space. Yeah, um, I, think it's be good. Be I think a lot of studios have that trouble where you've grown your business to the point that you need help, but you don't have the money to rent an industrial space to work out mm-hmm. of. This was sort of a natural sort of. Uh, you know, idea. Yeah. It's like where you're. It kind of double double dips a little bit. Yeah. Like you live where you work, you work where you live. It's a good transition. I mean, yeah. the next step, I, I think, we're, we can't get like a five bedroom apartment, so we would probably have to get that industrial space or something. I think so. But it's a and, good. And transition. I think eventually we'll be able to do that. I think sooner or later yeah, I, we'll cool. have enough. We'll have enough uh, business coming in that we'll be able to set aside. You know, the eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month to do that <laughs> become the new blue table. <laughs> wow! <laughs> have you been following oh, them at all? Have no, really... not at all. I yeah, uh, I, I reached out to them for an interview a few weeks ago. I he, saw that he would not he yeah. would not get give me the time of day. He never has. Yeah, I've reached out to him many times over the years. I think he views us not us but all paint studios as competition. Which is sad because uh, there's a lot of good com- like we've talked to commission guys. Of and some people are very open, but there is that concern, and we do get that kind of. The, there's backlash, so, here's the thing there's so many people in the world like even if every like yeah. we can't possibly do it all no we barely <laughs> keep up with the work we're doing now yeah. like, we have so many more clients than you know we used to have that we're, our business is good we don't need to steal theirs mm-hmm. um, and frankly like some of our clients like we do as our business gets better and our prices go up we do lose clients the yeah. clients who can no longer afford us, they, they look for new services. So there's kind of like a, a pecking order, I think, to commission work. It's like newer services take on clients with lower budgets, and we're able to solicit clients that have higher budgets. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of like a natural food chain. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say anything ill about Blue Table, but I will say that I'm very interested to see where what happens. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, see. I see them doing videos from what looks like his kitchen or something like that. I don't really know what that's about. I think it's the new studio, but... It looks like it used to be maybe like an art studio that they're retrofitting or something. I know. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I forget who we talked to was telling us they just moved. Yeah, I think again. they just moved to. They were in Spanish Fork, I think, and now I think mm-hmm. they're in whatever the capital of Utah is. Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, so um, uh, so yeah, big changes ahead. We're going to be opening up the second studio uh, in their garage. Uh, I heard before we quite move on. I heard that there was a plan. Uh, Jonathan came to me and he was like. He wanted to know if he could put up a permanent game table in the garage. Mm. And I was like, I don't think that's going to work. I was like, it's only about 330 square feet. I was like, I'm going to fill that up pretty fast. And he's like, no, we wouldn't touch your stuff. And I was like, 
but you'd be using like half the space. They're pretty, was, yeah, that's pretty yeah, big. Yeah, I was like, so I was like, you want me to basically pay for you to have a permanent place? <laughs> I was like, you want me to rent your game room? Like, yeah. and I was like, that's not a good pitch. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, yeah, I was like, I don't think that's going to work, but you're welcome to talk to Caleb about well, it. What was funny was I was like, well, first off, you need some work in sales because if this is your pitch, it's, it's a terrible it's terrible. <laughs> I was like, but on top of that, don't you guys have a dining room? I think the idea was... Because you had discussed bat reps. I did. And that was sort of the premise. Hey, if we're going to do bat reps, maybe we can have a gaming table in the garage or something. I sure. think that was... And the... I think what he wasn't thinking about was that the garage over here has been mm-hmm. painted, insulated. You know, we're adding some more additions right, to right. it. It looks like a nicer room as opposed to coming to you live from this dank garage. Yeah. Where it's humid as hell. Where well, it's humid and it's freezing in the winter. And yep. you can hear people outside and like... And he just wasn't like I think what he was thinking about is this will be awesome. Mm-hmm. Like he could wake up in the morning, have breakfast, play a turn of forty K paint, and like, you know, just live the life he's always dreamed. And I was <laughs> like, Yeah, that's not gonna be it, man. That's not how that's gonna go. <laughs> um, not to squash his dreams, because I was like, There's a there's a dining room. Yeah. Like, just put that's probably what we'll end up doing. But he was like, Well, where are we gonna eat? I was like, When was the last time you ate at a dining table? I was like, let's be honest. I was like, it just doesn't happen. You know, everyone eats if on their couch or on Very over much. the sink. Or in their bedroom or whatever. Like, um, we, we eat wherever we can, like, watch Netflix, is basically Essentially, that's the goal. All right. Uh, real quick, before we move out of intro, uh, I want to talk about the referral program real quick. That kicked off a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea with the program is that we would outsource some painting when we have um, clients that couldn't afford our service. So if we send out a commission, someone comes to us and they say they want a chapter of Space Marines and we say it'll cost X amount. And they're like, well, I can't afford that. Then we will have a few studios kind of on standby that we can refer them to. Um, we, you know, They can take advantage of our greater expanded client pool. We can take advantage of not losing the client entirely because we'll take a small finder's fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a studio approach just a few weeks ago, um, and they are exactly kind of what I expected. They were a newer studio. They're still purchasing better equipment. They're you know purchasing better photography equipment, better supplies. They're developing their portfolio. They're, they're a new studio. Um, so essentially, uh, that we tried it out, and we had a client come to us within a week or so of that. They couldn't afford our quote, despite lowering it to the lowest level of painting we offer and offering as many you know, price-saving tips as possible. It just didn't work. Referred them to the new studio, and the new studio got the job. So the, nice. so the client found work, and the painter has a job, and we were able to outsource our client and make a little money on the side, and everybody wins. So um, I'm excited to, to see this program grow. We also need at least one or two more services, I've learned, is that he, um, this particular painter, uh, he paints kind of part-time. So he can't do, like, a, if someone came down with a full army, it might take, like, a month or two. A couple months in. Yeah, so we, we basically need um, to expand the referral program. So if that's something you're interested in, reach out to us at info.whitemetalgames.com. Follow the link to the blog post and um, let us know if you're interested. We'd be happy to look at your work. Um, kind of think of it like a poor man's mentorship. Like, we'll provide you with tips and advice. Um, already we've had a lot of active discussions with this painter, and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how yeah. this grows. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump back in with On the Painting Desk right after this. Hey, guys. PD Pop here from Frontline Gaming. Are you tired of playing tabletop games on the same old foldable table? Do you have to lug around a bulky Rumble Battle table terrain set? Looking for a gaming mat to match the theme of your army and wow your friends? Then look no further than the Frontline Gaming and Table Warp Fat Mat series. Our fat mats are durable, waterproof, and come in 6x4 foot, 4x4 foot, and 3x3 foot sizes. 
With over 25 different images to choose from, we have a fat mat for every tabletop game. Get yours today at FrontlineGaming.org. Hey guys, welcome back. We are going to jump into On the Painting Desk. This segment of the show is sponsored by Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming, makers of fine battle mats, the fat mats, fat mat. yeah. um, which we actually played a bat rep on the other day. We used the Urban, um, urban that's Combat That's a cool one, mat. yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny is that there's this, they have an Urban Combat mat at Frontline Gaming that's kind of sideways, and at first I was like, what the hell is the point of this? But then I realized there's a mission in the 40K book that's it's diagonal. It's like one of yeah. the layouts is diagonal. Mm-hmm. And all they did was make a mat perfect for that. Yeah. Like, it is literally, because we were thinking about doing one the other day, and he's like, I don't like playing diagonally. It takes forever to lay out. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. It's a huge pain in the ass, except for if you have a frontline gaming fan. Yeah. Like, it's the perfect solution to that. So, I will say, like, every time you ever watch their battle reps and stuff, or their live Twitch streams, like, mm-hmm. they'll talk about their mats, and a lot of them are measured out for you. Yeah. Like, their the exact deployment zones are sure. done for multiple games, too, yeah. not just Warhammer. So... They're, they're I, I actually, I like uh, the game we played the other day. We played lengthwise, which is always always sort of different. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you don't really. Uh, I don't. I don't. I think it's great for shooting armies. It's shitty for hand to hand armies because mm-hmm. you have you don't have necessarily longer to go. But you have a, a. It's a smaller. It effectively turns the whole table into a gooseneck. Like you don't have as wide yeah, a place. It's a to very move. tunnel. Right. Where you got like two kind of entryways and everything. Right. Focused so down. some armies are going to have a natural advantage. There, mm-hmm. I, I think. I feel like. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, like, math-wise it works out. But I don't think it does. My instinct is it's wrong. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of fat mats from Frontline Gaming, we actually gave away a Frontline Gaming fat mat a couple days ago. Um, our winner was announced on Friday, which I think was, like, the 19th. It was Terry Main. Nice. Um, and the idea with Terry. the podcast was that we were going to release uh, a live link on the Facebook page that people could follow and comment on. We had five entrants. That's all really? we had. I was so disappointed. That's too and I, I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it because I was like, it can't be the quality of the math. The maths are great. Yeah. I was like, I think most of our client base list plays 40K or Warhammer, so it can't be the, the product. They need a product. Um, so I have no idea why we didn't have more participants. Maybe longer heads up. Maybe. Yeah, but we announced it like weeks. a month early. Yeah. I mean, we started announcing it two shows ago. But regardless of which, um, Terry Main, congratulations on your fat mat. He got the urban combat mat, too. Nice. It's a great mat. He got the straight one, though, not the diagonal. Oh, okay. Not to say anything bad about the diagonal. I liked it a lot. <laughs> um, okay. So um, what are you working on these days, sir? Now that the Stormcast cool. project is gone, yeah, shipped to Denmark. By the massive. way, $400 yeah. to ship that that project. Really? Yeah. Four boxes. Now, how does that work? I just segue into that real quick. Sure, sure, sure. So um, it was shipped in four different boxes. Two of the massive terrain pieces were in their own boxes. Mm-hmm. Two were in big boxes, but not the biggest. Um, and one of the boxes was like 17 pounds. That cost around $150. Damn. Uh, and we only insured it for like $500 because more than that, with with um, tariffs and stuff internationally, if we had insured it higher than that, like, you know, the entire project was valued at something like five grand. Um, but he, the tariff on that would have been so astronomical. Yeah. So he asked us, like, can you, you know, can you, can you help me out? So we, we generated an invoice that only showed the goods of the price of the materials, effectively. Because essentially you can really, I've heard from different people, you can only insure materials cost anyway. Yeah, different, different I can see that being. Although FedEx has told me that you or UPS has told me that's not the case, so I've heard conflicting arguments on it. Hmm. Um, they, they've, they've, at UPS, they told me that you can ensure the value of it if you can prove it through an, a, an invoice, which we can because we do write invoices. Um, but anyway, so four boxes went to Denmark. Two were expedited shipping. 
Uh, and frankly, the expedited shipping price was not that much more than priority shipping. Yeah. So it was one to three business days. Literally, I think it was like we sent it out on like a, a Monday. He had it by Wednesday in Damn. Denmark, uh, which was impressive. great. And the other the other two boxes will come in early next week. Um, and he had to pay some tariff on it. I don't know exactly what it is yet. Um, frankly, I haven't heard back from him yet, but there were so many models in those boxes mm-hmm. that I'm guessing, considering how long it took me to wrap them, it probably is going to take him twice as long to unwrap them. Right. Because right. um, it took me about some four or five hours to wrap the project. Yeah. There's so. a lot of brittle pieces. Those wings, oh, man. Oh, my prosecutor wings. Oh, yeah. Here's <laughs> a good tip. Um, so for the prosecutor wings, we've learned over time, I, I think the best way to ship prosecutors, cotton balls. I put them in a box full of mm-hmm. cotton balls. It's a little more expensive than tissue paper, but it's softer. And it's way more malleable, and my instinct is that, and I've done it with two different projects now, and I've had no breaks. Really? So, quick tip, if you're shipping prosecutors or wings, cotton balls. Yeah. Like, just dump dump them in a box of cotton balls. Smart. I can't say that word enough today. Cotton balls. Cotton balls. (laughs) Well, once that finished, that was a long project, so I've had a couple small little projects since then. I just finished a pre-heresy Inquisitions downstairs. Caleb's got it now. Um, really cool project. Yeah, yeah I, was, I loved. I got to work on some Forge World models from uh, for their uh, what the Imperial Guard Forge World. I forget what they're called, but uh, yeah, Solar Auxilla, I think. I yeah, think, yeah, they're awesome. Incredibly detailed. Nice like comparisons of the Marines. Like I think they're infinitely better. They got nice little like filigree patterns on their cloaks. Like they're cool. Yeah. Um, so just finished that. That was fun. Uh, and I pretty much just completed a Death Watch project. All the models are completed, bit painted, and everything. Just doing the basing now, um, and the Death Watch themselves are pretty cool. Yeah, there's some nice details on them. Fun to paint. Everybody's got their own like facial expressions, which faces were a pain to paint for a while. But now that I kind of got the hang of it, they're actually sure. pretty fun because you can experiment with them. You mean on the high on the Marines? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have any quick tips for people that are highlighting? Because because with me. I find that like the more layers of highlight you do, the softer the blends, so that that's mm-hmm. better. But highlighting face, highlighting flesh is a pain in the ass. Flesh is tricky, so I like to I like to use certain colors and then mix others into them. So like Caddy and Flesh Tone from GW is a favorite of mine, but yeah. I will ne- I rarely use it plain. I'll usually yeah. add something like if I want a darker brown um, features, then I'll put in the Rhinox High, which is like a purplish brown, sure. and that will help give definition and I'll use cadmium flesh tone to kind of bring it up to a brighter tone. That's good. And so I'll work that way. So essentially work in small stages like mm-hmm. mix the cadmium with something else to get a darker shade then use cadmium with a lighter shade or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So essentially you're building it up over multiple layers because mm-hmm. what you're doing then is that your eye has a harder time differentiating between the colors. Exactly. So it yeah. looks smoother. Um, so because a lot of people I've known they'll do I don't know. They'll do a base coat of Cadian and they'll do a highlight of like something ridiculous, like fairy tale flesh or something. Like, like you know, it's just like too stark. It looks too, unnatural. Too strong, too or they'll get too yellow. It looks like bad like, makeup. Yeah. And the problem with some of those just straight flesh tones is they're they have too much yellow in them, or there's right. too much red in them, and they right. just don't look natural. So it's good to mix them with another color. And we get a lot of requests. People, this has been a trend this year. People are like, "Can you do a Mediterranean flesh tone?" And yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Is that like was it? Skin? It's like Megan Fox came right. a picture of. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. I okay. who that was, but he wanted Megan Fox's flesh tones, and I was like, I always say, like, absolutely, we can do that, right? And then I'm like, Philip, good luck. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you're gonna do it, man, but right. uh, good luck for you. So. But anyway, all right. So, um, so the Death Watch—that's the entire Overkill game, by the way. That's the Death Watch Overkill, yeah. the whole set. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those Marines are effectively like kind of characters, basically. I mean, yeah. essentially, so there's a lot the of amount detail, of detail a lot on of stuff there. on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it took some time on them, but 
So and then the Halo project is um, is for Halo Fleet Battles, yeah, which I think is a one one eighty two scale game. They're pretty big. Yeah, I thought they were small based on the pictures, but these ships are, are quite large. Especially, it's not like Battlefleet Gothic size. No, it's it's no, more it's like Drop Fleet Commander size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah. good comparison. So or Hawk War Games that one. Yeah, the uh, the models are pretty nice. So I've never built stuff like that before. The plastic didn't really work well with plastic glue. It yeah. takes a while. You have to hold it. So I would probably not every plastic is conducive. No, yeah. no, it wasn't. So it definitely took some trial and error, um, some uh, clamps to make sure they stuck together for a while. Nice. But um, so far, it's it's going all right. I mean, there's certain details I'm trying to figure out, but yeah, it's hard to well. Know. It's a work in progress. Yeah, and, and frankly, we don't get a lot of of games in one one eighty two scale, so it's a little different. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of change gears a little bit. Um, but what I like about this project is it is very different. It's, yeah, it's a whole we've never we I have not done. Halo Fleet Battles at all. I've done... They have a derivative version of that called, like, Halo Commander or some shit. It's the ground version of it. Oh, okay. Um, right. Which is fun. It's a, it's a really cool-looking game. Um, but, you know, there, there are two different games in the same, same world, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really cool. We're trying to do a terrain set for him. Austin at, um, Brush, at Death Ray Designs, we asked him to develop some clear flight stands in different shapes so that we could mount planets and asteroids and comets and that kind of stuff. Um, but he's having a little bit of trouble with his supplier. But if that works out, we're going to be able to develop a terrain set for the game as well. Cool. Uh, and then that yeah. would be a sample terrain set, which we will also feature on a frontline gaming map. Because right. <laughs> they have a great <laughs> they space, have a space map. One. They have a 6x4, yeah. and I think it comes at 4x4, maybe 3x3 three three as well. Um, but it's actually a really great map. It's super popular. They sell yeah. out of it. Um, I mean, it's great for any sort of Star Wars right. or anything like that. So. Anything like that. And there's a lot of those games that, you know, Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, what is that? X-Wing. X-Wing, yeah. X-Wing game. Um, all right, so um, Dennis is currently working on um, a zombie side. Uh, I wanted to get into that, so I bought a set of the game and asked him to paint it up. So we're working on, he's working on that currently to a tabletop level, and we're going to jump into that. I don't know if you've seen this game at all, but it's... I have seen Zombie Side. Yeah. I love it. The miniatures seem pretty good. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the characters are surprisingly detailed for the, the for the medium. Normally that kind of plastic doesn't take detail well. Yeah. But they're actually okay. Um, and the zombies, despite their increased size, are all on the equivalent of 32 mils, or 30, okay. uh, 28 mils. Um, so they're about the same size as, let's say, an Imperial Guardsman, maybe, um, or an RPG figure. Um, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. He's been really into... We had a game the other day, me and him, we played Stormcast. Um, or we played Age of Sigmar. I had a Stormcast army. In fact, the one you just shipped off. Nice. We used that <laughs> in the bat rep. And then he had a Chaos Faction. And um, I was disappointed because... It, first off, I'd never played Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. And I've been in playing strategy games for a long time, so it's not like I don't know anything about strategy games. I have a fair, a fair sense of, of strategy. I'm not a tactician by any means, and I, I lose a lot. But... It was such a one-sided victory for me. Like, right. I completely destroyed him. And what we, the rules we agreed to were 100, 100 wounds, and then he had a system in place. He was like, up to 25% monsters, up to 25% characters, minimum of 25% infantry, etc. Et it felt like old-school Warhammer. Yeah. So the goal was to develop a balanced list. And I think that's how the ITC have been trying to do the new... It, it doesn't work at all. No? At all. Like, no. Because the thing is, is that by that argument... A Stormcast Eternal uh, basic liberator who caught his two wounds should be about the same value as two like Chaos Reavers, which is their equivalent of like a fantasy cultist or marauder. Mm-hmm. And, and the Reavers are shit. Really? <laughs> they don't even have an armor crushed. 
They're just, okay. they, I just, I, you know, and I'm not, Dennis, I love you, you're a great guy, but I just crushed him. I crushed him. <laughs> I destroyed him. And it got to the point, it was in that point in the game where you're like, I feel bad. Yeah, I was like, this is not even fun, fun for me. Um, we actually, I think we quit by like turn three. Because uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't work. Um, I'm not saying it can't work or ITC won't, won't have a better idea. Yeah. But our idea didn't work. <laughs> at all. So maybe the new point system value will help balance that I out. I hope so. Yeah. yeah I hope so. Um, so anyway, regardless of that, um, I'm completely off on a tangent. So he's doing that. He's doing Zombicide. Valentin just did some recent models for a Retribution of Cyber Army that we're doing in a marble pattern. Um, that we um, the client found online, and effectively it makes all of the armor look like it's made of stone or marble. That's cool. And it's really cool. Um, the basic models are a white stone marble, and then he did Moros, which is kind of like an assassin jack in black. So it looks like a, looks like a black marble. And it looks really great. Nice. Um, he did a really, really good job with it. Oh, sorry. I thought my phone was on vibrate. I don't know what happened there. Anyway, um, as for me, um, more Helios Guard came in. Um, we've also got a really big client doing more Stormcast Eternals, not to the level you just did. So I'm, I'm getting a chance to um, do some Stormcast. It's just downstairs, yeah. It's a huge project. Is it's it? something like 16 Dracothian Guard, a Star Drake, a Celestant Prime, uh, a scenery set, plus it was something like 15 Retributors, 3 Prosecutors, and uh, 5 Judicators. So okay. it was a massive project. I did about the first half, um, and then I had to order all the rest of it because no one had 14, seven boxes of Tricothian Garden stock. <laughs> like, no one had it, like, not even our supplier. So we had to basically order that, and I know immediately he was like, oh, shit, like, yeah. I guess we'll have to order up. Um, <laughs> That's a popular unit. I guess it must be good in the They're game. so good. Yeah. They have this breath weapon attack that I, I'm not going to get into details, but they have this breath weapon that basically does the equivalent of, like, an armor... They call it like um, it ignores. They call it mortal wounds, but in in 40k terms, it's almost like it ignores armor. It's just. I see. It's, it's almost like a D attack. Oh my god! And it's like with a squad of them. Oh my god! It's so like I. Really? Ugh, it's it's <laughs> stupid. It's grossly good. Like we we okay. had to reread the rules four to five times to make sure because I was like, and that's just a guard. It's not even the Star Drake. No, like, Star Drake has its own thing. Doesn't the Star it? Drake is fine. Like he's okay, oh, okay. Uh, but frankly, I'm not as impressed with the Star Drake as I wanted to be. Although he does have like this spell where he kind of brings down meteors from like space. Okay. Uh, he, they call it like Rain of Fire or some shit, um, or Rain of the Cosmos or something like that. It's awesome. Um, so you know, here's what I, here's what I've learned about Age of Sigmar. It's a lot of fun. And you completely can't balance the game. <laughs> so I love it. I really want to play more of it, but I don't know how to balance it. Yeah, it's 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 hard. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, speaking of Age of Sigmar, we had one guy request. Um, he wants to request a custom Border Prince's army, which I've never had a request for before. Border Prince. Yeah, that's the that's same reaction I had. Basically, what it is is that outside of the Confederate Empire, um, like there's the, the there's the zones of the Empire in the old world in Warhammer. Which are like kind of like Rome, I think you might yeah. you might say civilized culture, and then they've got the people who are kind of outlaws and bandits and cutthroats, and they live beyond the borders of the kingdom, and they call them the border princes. Anyway, so it's kind of like a cutthroat, you know, bandit army, and I was like, I would absolutely like That's to cool. quote that army. Interesting. Um, so I'm putting together a quote for him now. Don't know if it's going to work, um, but he, what was interesting, I was like, is this for Age of Sigmar? Is this for Warhammer? He's like, I don't know. So apparently he's not a player; he's a collector. Yeah, uh, he was like, you know, he, he he wanted it to be a cool looking collection, something to something to look good, but not necessarily something to play. Where are the models from? 
Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, yeah. So he, it's all, he basically gave me free range. He was like, just come to me with a concept. Like, his only restrictions were it'd be a border prince's army, they'd be on a port town, so I guess on water, and that they'd be, um, uh, that they have a unit of werewolves. <laughs> Those were his three restrictions. He wanted a unit of, like, half man, half werewolves. So I think what I'm going to do is a pirate-themed army. Um, That's cool. So it'll be a mismatch of, like, the if you look at the free guild models, or what they call free guild now, which is mm-hmm. empire models. So the Empire Hand, you know, Halberdiers, Crossbow. Yeah, those, those are yeah. basically Renaissance era figures. Mm-hmm. You take those and you kitbash them with old school Chaos Marauders or the brand new Chaos Reavers, and you effectively get pirates. I think is is the bottom line. Um, and then I'm going to throw in a couple of units of Lead Belchers in there because they're holding cannons. I'm going to throw in the uh, Man Eater from the Ogre Kingdoms lines that looks like a giant pirate. Um, and then I'm going to throw in. He wanted some sort of hero to lead the army. So I'm going to throw in a custom um, like general who's like a disgraced empire commander or some shit. I don't know. I'm still working on it. Um, but basically, that's it. It's going to be a pirate, uh, sort of like a dogs of war army, like a mercenary army. Yeah. So well, I guess uh, begs the question: like, so if this guy ends up not committing to this, so yeah, this is just a quote. So I'm not out. Yeah. Uh, All well, I'm doing is saying this is what I can do with this is what I can do it for. Yeah. And I guess at a certain point, like I guess for people who are interested in the business side of things, like you've talked about how you sometimes have to come up with quotes. It's a lot of work. Yeah. This sounds like even above that. Like you're coming up with yeah. a whole concept for right. Essentially, like it took me about three hours to kind of dig through the GW website until I found all the kits. I was like, well, this is how I would do it if I was going to do it. Yeah. So that took about three hours. Then I have to, I still have to generate the quote. Let's mm-hmm. safely say that's at least another two hours. So that's five hours. And he could just be like, nah. Or he could just take it somewhere else. Right, he could. And that's that's, that's the risk. That's yeah. the cost of doing business. Mm. Um, but essentially, like, anyone who, who's got any sort of smarts at all could look at the website and be like, this is how they would do it. All I'm saying is this is about how I would do it. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, to get ideas, I went to the GMM website because we interviewed him a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, he's got, I was just thinking. He has an army yeah. called, like, the, the Merchants of yeah. Musselburg or some shit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but I looked at them and I was like, they're all just empire figures on a yeah. boat. That's all they are. And I was like, I would like these guys to be more outlawy. And I was like, how do I sure. get there? So the, essentially, the, the way it worked was I looked at the man eater ogre figure, and if you look at him, he's just got half of his body is kind of like very. It looks like he cobbled his uniform together from clothes, both from empires and like from ogres. Yeah. And I was like, that's the aesthetic I want. So how do I get there? And um, I don't know. I haven't. I have not kitbashed a Warhammer army in a long time. So I'm really hoping this I, sounds this, great. Yeah, I would love this. That'd be but the problem is, is that I get excited about client commissions because they'll email me an idea. Like a couple of you know, about a month or two ago, this guy emailed us about like, um, uh, what did he want? He wanted a a, a Ren army. It was um, a Crimson Fist orc mashup army. And the idea was that the Crimson Fist were, were stranded on this orc death world, and so they had had to repopulate their ranks by re- reuse orc equipment to supplement their own failing equipment. And I loved the that's idea. That's fantastic. It's a great yeah. idea. It was Ren's World. That's what he called it, Ren's World. But essentially, the client, I, I developed a quote, I came up with the numbers, I had a good idea, I developed the test models, and then at the end of the day, he was like, I just don't have the money right now. Because he was like a college grad, and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, okay, well... If you change your mind uh, later. So, you know, part of me wants to get excited, but part of me doesn't want to get too excited. Yeah. Um, speaking of conversions, um, the guy who's doing the pre-heresy army, he's going to expand his commission. We're actually working on the quote for that 
even oh the Inquisition one yeah oh good so he wants to expand it and it looks like the new set's going to have custom Death Cult Assassins custom Acolytes including Warrior Acolytes and Crusaders it's going to have a custom Valkyrie Um, it's a huge expansion nice so if it goes through it will effectively be your August okay (laughs) basically it's a big enough quote that it will be like your really August yeah it's huge um, I'm really excited. Well, and I enjoyed it a it's lot. It's major kit bashing, really? um, which you may or may not like. But fortunately, I did all the research on it. Like I emailed them back and forth like six or seven times, and now we have a very clear view in our mind. Okay. Um, and I won't, I won't give away too much of it, but I will say, squats are coming back. Ooh, squats! We're building squats, <laughs> which I'm very excited about. I'm surprised. Um, like I know they killed them in 40k, but in 30k. Like, I'm surprised maybe Horus Heresy doesn't bring them back in Yeah, some that's a great idea. Or I would, love, I would love to see a, a 30K-themed squad army. And some companies have done it. Like, Mantic Games has a game called um, Warzone, I think. And that's mm-hmm. their version of 40K, which they, frankly, have not done much with. They've kind of started it and kind of, eh, yeah, It kind of is meandering. But some of the models they've put out there are amazing. Okay. Um, and they have this line called the Forge Fathers, which are their version of squats, which are actually really great. It's a cool name, too. Forge yeah, Fathers. That's I awesome. like that. Um, so more of that hopefully forthcoming um, and then personally right now between um, I'm finishing up the Hyro Titan I just finished up a custom Bellacore um, yeah. it looked pretty decent I yeah. liked him a lot uh, the Hyro Titan is going to be finished up in the next couple days and we've got a bunch of Reaper models on our desk a bunch of Reaper demons um, uh, kind of in all these different colors which I'm excited about uh, and Event Horizon Games asked us to do not one but two sets of Silver Tower so we're doing yeah. a personal set for them and a store copy um, which I have found that when you have the opportunity to do two sets, do them at the same time because oh, yeah. you're not repurposing Assembly colors. stuff is yeah. fantastic. So literally, we, I mean, it looks so like a, it, it priming and painting went so much faster mm-hmm. with two sets as opposed to doing a set and turning it over and then doing another set. Well, just going back to the Death Watch real quick, a lot of those Tyranid models are duplicates. Like, right. the half of them are just copies of the other. So it made it so fast. Yeah. I, I mean, I finished most of those in a day or two sure. and just cranked them. So. Well, we're going to take a quick uh, break, and when we jump back in, uh, we are going to jump into our rotating segment, and we're going to talk about this charity raffle army that we're hoping to see get off the ground, Mm -hmm. and we'll be right back. If you're interested in advertising on War Council, let us know. We can be reached at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Rates are extremely competitive, but there are limited slots available, so please contact us soon. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our rotating segment. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about um, this charity raffle army that we're trying to help get off the ground. Um, first off, um, as you probably well know at this point, it's you know a few weeks ago there was a uh, massacre um, at a, um, a nightclub in Orlando, Florida. Um, it was basically the biggest hate crime in, in history, and it was probably one of the largest massacres in history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I hate to bring things down for a second, but we're going to kind of get serious for a second here because um, whether you believe it was a terrorist crime or a hate crime, it, it doesn't matter. It was really a human atrocity, you, no matter how you spin it. There was yeah. a huge loss of life. It was um, a, a great loss to just our country. And, you know, I think that no matter which way you lean, uh, whether you're in support of the LGBT culture and lifestyle or whether or not you feel like it was a hate crime or a terrorist activity... Uh, it, it was awful. And in support of the victims and in, in an attempt to help, um, Matt at Triton Terrain Studio originated a project um, to basically do a charity raffle army. 
Um, and normally the way these things go is that a bunch of studios get together, they donate models, time, and painting, and they'll paint up an army. They will then raffle off tickets to the, to the army, um, and then one person will win the army. Mm-hmm. The proceeds of the sale go to the victims. Um, so if there's, like, let's say, uh, a charity organization, or if, let's say, they're starting up a foundation, or maybe they're starting up um, a memorial, uh, well, the funds will be used for that. So I didn't originate the project. Matt from Titan Terrain Studio did. If you go to his webpage, I think that there's a link for the, for the, for the charity program. Uh, we're just getting it off the ground now. I can tell you it's going to be a red... Uh, Scorpions Army. That's the, okay. the Forge World. Red Scorpion. Yeah. Red Scorpion. The Forge World Model Army. So that's the color scheme we're using. We're not necessarily using Forge World models due to the cost, but we're going to basically kit bash and convert and make them more Scorpion-ish. Um, we volunteered to do a Venerable Dreadnought and a Command Squad. And uh, Matt said he was going to send us one more Dreadnought, which we're also going to, to do as well. So we're gonna, essentially we're going to do three models, or three sets uh, for them. Um, but where we're at right now with this is that apparently organizing charity raffles is more complicated than you might think. Um, yeah. What it boils down to is you have to have a 401k or nonprofit of some sort. Because essentially, from the eyes of this, the law, charity raffles are some form of like gambling, so to speak. Interesting. So you can't just have a charity raffle. Um, you have to have, uh, there have to be things, safety measures in place to protect uh, these sorts of organizations. So where we're at now is we're looking for a sort of an organizer to help us with this. So if this is something you've done in the past, you know about, you can help us organize, reach out either to me at info at whitemetalgames.com or to Matt at Titan Terrain Studio. Uh, maybe him because he's the originator of the project and um, we would certainly like to speak with you and get some ideas about how we can help to get this project moving along. As it is right now, it's really in its infancy. We've started to talk about color scheme and test models and the layout of the army. We picked a marine, or Matt picked a marine army because they're popular. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that will allow us to get the most, um, the most value for it for the for the victims. Um, but then, yeah, so that's basically it. So um, if that's something you'd like to help us out with, buy tickets for, contribute models to, um, contribute. Yeah. If you want to, you know, uh, donate, I guess, money to the charity, that'd be okay. Buy tickets is the best way to do that, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll have more of that in the coming shows. Um, but for now, if you can help us with the organization of that, we'd love to talk to you. Email me at info@whitemetalgames.com or Matt over at Titan Terrain Studio. Um, and that's it for this segment. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. When we jump back in, uh, we'll jump in with Tips on Technique, where we're going to interview the great JoJo Man. And we'll be right back after this. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. Make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? White Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees... There's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, We're going to jump into tips on technique tonight, and tonight we're speaking with a very special guest from all the way across the pond in London. Uh, His name, or he goes by the great Jojo Man on YouTube. You can find his channel, Enter the Wolf Time, uh, on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, And I'd like to welcome Jojo to the show. Hello, hello everybody, and thank you 
for having me on the show. Uh, just a slight correction, Manchester, not London. Manchester, <laughs> middle not middle London. of England rather than the bottom of England. Okay, <laughs> great. You, you Game of Thrones terms were kind of Winterfell, whereas nice. London is King's Landing. That actually helps. That, that actually <laughs> helps. Um, so, um, I guess, the oh, great Jojo man. Um, so I first came to your work through YouTube, and on the show today we're kind of talking about conversions and what that involves. And um, I've always, I've been a fan of converting since I first started trying it, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago. And I kind of stumbled across your work by accident, um, but I was, I was very impressed early on with what everything I saw. We're going to provide a link to your channel uh, on our show, but can you kind of give us a, a sense of how you got into the hobby and um, specifically how you started converting and how you started coming up with all of your amazing creations? Okay, that's, that's, that's not a problem. Um, in regards to getting into the hobby, it probably started when I was about 13. I'm, I'm 28 now, so a long, long time ago. And I was in uh, high school, and one of my friends uh, was into the hobby. I think most people get introduced through a friend. Um, and he basically brought in some orcs uh, into into school. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, what are these? What What's the deal behind these? And he's like, oh, you, you build them, you paint them, you, you play a game with them. And I was like, all right, okay, where'd you get them from? So I asked him, he told me, and then the next day, which happened to be a Saturday, I went into um, my local games workshop with my parents. And um, I bought, what, what did I buy? I think it was a just a, a regular box of orc boys and a couple of paints. And that was how the addiction started. That's how I got addicted to plastic crack. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, and in regards to converting and actually making stuff my own, it all stems from, uh, well, me starting off with orcs because the beauty of orcs is that you can make anything and you can bash anything together, and you know, as long as it, it. It looks like it can kind of function, then it's all right. I mean, sometimes it doesn't even need to look like it has to function, you know. In regards to the fluff with orcs and things like that, everything um, uh, with orcs will something to work. It just works. Uh, but anyway, um, in in regards to the, the converters, they all started with orcs, and it kind of just progressed there. It was always a case of, hmm, I wonder if I could make this, and I have a look at what bits I had and what stuff I had and where I could get other components from bits of plastic card, bits of um, uh, ABS tubing, all that kind of stuff and it, it all kind of uh, grew from there just with little bits at first uh, and then obviously I, I took a break um, during uh, exams and stuff in high school got back into it during college then when college exams came um, I, I had to take a break there so it's kind of intermittently but with each increment of taking a break, I've always come back to the hobby uh, a lot stronger with a lot more ideas, a lot more creativity, and a lot more willing to further my skills and try out new things. Um, the whole conversion process with like green stuff and things I only really started in the past maybe four or five years, and it all started with being able to green stuff fur. Uh, onto my Space Wolf army that I was doing because that was my my second major army after the Orcs that I did uh, was Space Wolves and I was like well I'd really like to have a fur cape or a fur loincloth or like patches of you know like fur on like skins and things so I was like right so I learned I, I taught myself I got myself some green stuff I got myself a sculpting tool I learned how to do that and then it just kind of uh, all flowed from there as to how I got into the crazy creations that I do now 
Okay, so I mean that's that's a great answer. It's certainly <laughs> it's a lot of information to take in. So let's kind of back let's kind of backtrack a step there. Yeah, go for it. So so you got into the hobby through orcs. Now a lot of people that I know who play orcs, uh, they just simply play kit orcs. You know, it's it's like there are. Uh, lots of opportunities for conversion, but there are also lots of options on the sprues. You don't have to convert. You don't have to kit bash. There's lots of different things there. So I guess what I would ask is, what was the first thing that came along uh, that you kind of felt like, like was it a need because a kit didn't have an option you wanted, or was it more like you wanted to personalize and individualize your your army? Uh, um, it's kind but, of the twofold. Um, okay. that. Back in the day. It was a case of I I would see other people's work and think to myself, well, what is that? And obviously, then I'd obviously this is. But bear in mind, when I was like thirteen and stuff, it was still pretty early days for the for, for the internet and stuff like that, you know. And so it was a case of we did we we basically had dial up, so we didn't have the ability to share it all. And if I did see anything online, it it would be in a very very basic view, and I'd have to kind of. Like go right. Well, that kind of looks like it's going to be this, and then it just started getting me thinking that well, if if he if someone else can do that, then I can do that as well. Sure. Um, so it started off like that, and uh, that was were, it really. When you were when you were younger, before you were even into Warhammer or gaming or anything like that, did you find that growing up as a kid? that you were always like, I don't know, like, uh, for example, for me, I was really into building blocks. I was always kind of reimagining whatever I could with, with any medium available. So when I started to get into conversion work, it felt like kind of a natural extension of, of how I had grown up. Yeah, well... It's just that the blocks became adult adult blocks, so to speak. 100%. Well, it was it was Legos with me. Um, yeah. I, I didn't have toys as a kid, sure. really. Um, <laughs> my parents were kind of stingy. Uh, when it came to that, like all all my other friends, we need like a small violin playing now. Play with like all, dirt. all my friends were like playing. <laughs> Everyone with likes it. dirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when all my friends were, like playing with like you know like Transformers action figures and Teenage sure. Mutant Hero Turtle action figures and all that you kind had, of like, stuff. Power Rangers. Like I had Legos and that was okay. it. Because right. <laughs> um, so my parents were like, oh, they're a waste of money. <laughs> okay. So they bought me Lego because they were like, "Oh well, the re the replay value of that is great." That's, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's fair. I suppose. Okay, so so you had an early start where you were kind of like you encouraged to use your imagination, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and then that naturally translated into the hobby. Oh yeah. Um, so you started out with the works, you started kit bashing, and then you started with some basic sculpting when you moved to your space wolves. It sounds like because you wanted to start with fur. Yeah. So I guess for many people, you know, the possibility of sculpting is an aspect of the hobby they don't often want to approach because it looks like, from the outside point of view, that it's almost insurmountable. Like, they look at final products that people have been sculpting after, you know, 10 or 15 years of experience, and they can't really figure out how to even start because it, it, yeah. it seems like a foreign skill set. So mm-hmm. I, I guess what I might ask is how, when you first got started, uh, did you did that work? Did you... Did you find that, like, you know, you were rubbish at first and, and then you only got better with time? Or did you have some natural artistic ability that translated into your sculptures, that kind of thing? Well, the way it kind of worked with me was, uh, I, and it's the way I would I would recommend to everybody that wants to start sculpting with, with green stuff and things, um, start small. Don't set yourself a huge, a huge project. I never did. I was like, literally, I will do a little, a little patch of fur and think, ah, that, that looks okay, that looks pretty good 
and gradually just push yourself to do things that are bigger and bigger and bigger and they, it, it naturally snowballs from there. When I first did my patch of fur, I mean, I, oh, I'm going to sound like a, a bit of a pompous git now, but I actually did it and it actually looked good. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it looked good um, until then later on I looked back at it and then I was like, oh, actually, I could improve that by using a finer sculpting tool because I was just using the, the one that Games Workshop sold, which was really, it, I mean, it's, it, it, there's no finesse with it. It's like trying to carve something, right. you know, uh, trying to carve the Venus de Milo with a brick, you know. Right, um, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. So it was kind uh, of okay. like that. Well, I think it's safe to say our standards uh, for our own art improve over time. Like, certainly, like, I can agree with that 100% that when I first started sculpting, my fur, as you, might, you, know, as you said, was, was okay. Uh, it, I, but it's certainly gotten better over time. And then, like you said, I, we've kind of, we, I think, uh, generally speaking, kind of start to tackle bigger and bigger projects. Like, if you can do this, I can do, if I can do fur, maybe I can do muscle. If I can do muscle, maybe I can do chain. If I can do this, maybe I can do a face. If I can do a face, maybe I can do a body. You know, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so you kind of grow your skill set over time. Um, so let's kind of flash ahead to where you are now. It seems like at this point, you know, you, you've got a huge portfolio of stuff like Nurgle and your Dark Mechanicum stuff and, um, you know, your orcs, of course. But you've just got tons and tons of different examples of your work. So let's talk a little bit about what inspires you and what, what makes you want to try to do these different things. What draws you to these ranges? Uh, is it the conversion opportunity or is it more the aesthetic of those factions? I would have to say it's the conversion possibility, and okay. I've, I've I think I've hit the nail on the head with the three most convertible, customizable armies you can get, which is obviously Dark Mechanicum, Nurgle, and Orcs. Uh, Nurgle's great for doing stuff like making stuff look really organic and things like that, and and the inspiration from from that really comes. I don't really know where the inspiration comes from, to be honest. It just pops in there. It just appears out of nowhere. Some um, dark recess in your brain. Yeah, some yeah, some place know, we don't want to shine a light too hard on. I mean, I mean, I've got a very, very active imagination um, to start with. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I love uh, playing things like D and D and Dungeon World and stuff. And it it sets me apart from a lot of my friends because I've got a lot of my friends that are into the hobby, but they can't do things like D and D and Dungeon World because they don't have the the visualization skills to imagine something. That's in not like the first person, on the table. Yeah. yeah, if it's not grounded in reality, if it's not physically there, they can't see it in a way. It's Some a really hard thing to describe. That. Yeah, that makes sense. Some people don't have that kind of mind's eye view where they can do that. But. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and in regard, I mean, uh, with all the other stuff, you know, with the dark mechanicum and stuff, it normally starts out with with a base idea, uh, and then it kind of just grows from there. Like with my orcs, for example. Um, I wanted to have an almost purely mechanized orc force, so no boys, and this is on account of the fact that I hate painting orc boys, because you've got to paint so damn many of them, and I wanted to do killer cans, and I wanted to experiment with some different painting techniques, and then make some cool tanks and things, so it started with that, I wanted a mechanized orc list. Uh, and that was it then. And then all these crazy tanks and stuff started just like a spy, you know, popping out of nowhere. Um, I mean, sometimes I do have to kind of look for a bit of inspiration. So I'll type in like 
for example, Mechboy Junker with Custom Force Field. And I'll look at stuff and go, mm, I quite like the, the way this fella's done that. I like uh, this over here. This looks really, really cool. And I like a little bit of that aesthetic as well from this uh, different picture here. And then I'll go, right, so I'll kind of go, oh, what? I like these. How can I kind of put my own spin on it? How can I make things my own? Sure. So you draw inspiration from other people, but then you, you want to sort of create your own unique product or version of that. That's right. To sort of personalize it. That sounds great. So what led you, so was it, the, I guess with those three factions, let's go into them a little bit. With Oryx, we know you started there, uh, and with Nurgle and, and Dark Mechanicum, which are kind of both branches of the Chaos Tree, you might say, um, or the Rotted Chaos Tree, I suppose, in the Nurgle case. But did you kind of jump into those because you liked, uh, I guess, the factions in general, or was it more that it was kind of like, you know, what came first, the, the egg or the chicken kind of thing? Was it that you knew you could do great things with it, or was it that you loved those ranges? Well, in the Dark Mechanicum, there is no range. You have to custom make your entire range. Well, with uh, let's start with what, what, what actually did come first. I think that Nurgle, Nurgle, the Nurgle one came came first. Okay. Um, and that was, that was, big, I was, I was looking at stuff, and I was like, well, here is an absolutely amazing opportunity to practice some sculpting to let my imagination run rampant and do all kinds of stuff like that so the, the natural nurgle enticed me i've never done any other facet of chaos uh, it was kind of always nurgle because they're the most like i say they're the most customizable you can do whatever like if i wanted to make some obliterators i can just get a lump of green stuff and mold it into what i want an my one of my obliterators to look like um, a lot of it also stemmed from the fact that during this, I was um, well, money is always an issue, um, as we all know. So a lot of the stuff is kind of with corners cut by using green stuff and actually making it. Like for example, the big I did a huge demon lord of Nurgle for uh, Apocalypse Games. Uh, he would have set me back like over a hundred pounds or over two hundred dollars if I'd bought him from Forge World. And I thought, Do you know what, I can make one of them. So I did. I got about. I think it's about three or four meters of green stuff and just had at it. <laughs> nice. Wow. <laughs> well, and I think the nice thing about the GW kits is they have a lot of leftover bits in them for the most part. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so you can repurpose the spares um, to develop some parts of your model, kind of in the same way that sculptors in a, in a studio house will take, let's say, a skeleton from one model and then just mold off of that if they want to. Yeah. So they'll, you'll see some bits sticking through that kind of thing. Um, so, um, for new sculptors, do you have any kind of suggestions or tips and techniques that you might say, you know, you might say, like, if you're going to get into this, here's the entry point for how you do it? Okay, well, with, with, my, uh, with, with my current uh, level of experience, I would say uh, the best thing that you can do to start off with is, firstly, start small, and secondly, start off with a sculpting material that is reusable. So either something like monster clay, which is completely reusable because it's just like it's like a wax-based clay type stuff, uh, and you can just when you get when you get when you get sick of it, you can just put a bit of heat on it, roll back up into a ball and start over. Or if you want to keep the product of what you're sculpting, start with something like Fimo or Sculpey or Super Sculpey or something like that because you get a lot more working time, you get greater quantities of it, and it's a lot cheaper than buying green stuff. Uh, it also means that if you say, I, d I don't know, say you're working on something, and then get called downstairs because dinner's ready. 
it means that you can still come back upstairs and work on that. Or it means that if you're doing a bit of late night sculpting and get really tired, you can go to bed, wake up the next day, and you can still sculpt with what you were doing the day before. And it's not cured on you. Um, so they're my, my two main tips. Start small, use, a, and use something that gives you a much longer drawing time. Sure, that's, I mean, those are both really good tips. I've, I've tried the FEMO stuff before, and it's a little malleable for my taste, Like, but I think that, because, you know, as a rule, when, you get, when you're talking about mediums, like, for example, learning on something, let's, let's say that green stuff, which has a very specific consistency, it has a real specific feel, mm -hmm. um, and then you think about, like, some of the softer sculpting mediums, do you find that, you know, you're, you're able to, um, I guess, translate all of your skills over between them? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, what I would say uh, again is um, know the material that you're working with, know the properties sure. of it. I always, uh, I mean, I'm always fiddling with stuff. I'm doing it right now. Sure. I've, I've got, I've just got a random <laughs> bunch of bits in my hand, and I'm just like running through my fingers and, fe and feeling them out and stuff. But the same goes sure. for green stuff. If you get a bit of leftover green stuff, just play with it. Play with it in your fingers, stretch it out, roll it about, roll it into shapes, make shapes with it, um, poke it with sticks. Just know, really know 100% the material that you're working with because once you know that, you'll know what its properties are, you'll know what you can do with it and what you can with. Just out of curiosity, because and this, we're going to get a little technical here for a second, because I, I do a lot of sculpting myself, but most of the time I don't I don't favor green stuff. and, and Partially it's because it's not quite as soft as I want, and partially it's because when it dries, it kind of never quite gets as hard as I would like it to. It, it, it sort of has this flexible soft, it's, it's flexible kind of. So I feel like it was kind of developed for, for like casting molds, but it may not have been entirely developed with the idea in mind of a final product. Do you find uh, that to be the case, or do you kind of disagree with that? Because I see that most of your well, work is generally green stuff based, and like the final product is a green stuff product. Well, um, green stuff was originally designed for plumbers. Right. Like um, it was designed leaks. to fix leaks because it's waterproof. Right. Um, so that's where, because you obviously need it to be marble to like you mold it onto pipes and stuff like that and, and whatever. But sure. um, I find that if you mix more of the blue part into the green stuff, more of the hard um, it, it, yeah, it, it dries harder um, and it dries a little bit more brittle. Um, I prefer green stuff personally because if you drop it, it don't break. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it would have a softer consistency. Yeah, right? totally. It absorbs impact much better than, say, I don't know, actual clay, regular clay that you you know you buy like the, the packs. It's like a more like a stone type texture. Sure. Um, I mean, I predominantly, if I'm making like a big, what I call a big gribbly, if I make like a big demon prince or something of Nurgle or a big demon lord or whatever, I tend to use um, Sculpey and uh, green stuff in combination. So I'll, what I'll do, I'll get the main bulk of what I'm doing done with uh, Sculpey, and then what I'll do, I'll go in with the green stuff over the top of that and add the detail onto it. Sure. So that, they're the kind of two mediums that I work with predominantly. Would you say that you're more of a hobbyist these days, or do you actually have an active game uh, I guess life that you participate in uh, definitely more of a hobbyist I do it for the pure joy of creating stuff um, sure. I occasionally I game um, very very rarely though because uh, I've, I've, the only person that I really uh, that, uh, used to game with back uh, over here 
is uh, my friend um, Pidge. In fact, if you're after another person to uh, to, in- to interview, he's an amazing sculptor as well. He's very, 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 very good. But he's so ever since Age of Sigmar came out, he's kind of just boycotted all Games Workshop stuff, and it's just completely. He's just he's just done. He is done with anything Games Workshop. Done with anything Citadel related. So he's just like kind of kind of getting out of the hobby. So I don't really have anyone to game with in that respect. Sure. I play occasionally, uh, you know, with some of the guys that live a bit further away. But it's like an hour's drive. Uh, up to that place. It's, it's, it's kind of surprising to hear that because you're literally in the country where all of this originated. So, I mean, how far are you from, I guess, GW headquarters there? Um, You've got to be pretty close to Bugman's Bar and all that kind of stuff. The source of all evil. How how far <laughs> am I away from it? It's, um, it's, it's, oh, hold on. Now we have to talk about that a little bit. Because it's, it's so funny to hear... So many people get into the hobby through through Games Workshop product and the lore because they love the world that they've developed. But they a lot of times people really don't like the company. They kind of look at it as this evil corporation. So, uh, do you want to ex- ex- explain that a little bit? Do you feel the same way? Or like... well, I live about two and a half hours away from Nottingham, okay. uh, about right. two and a half hours away from Games Workshop HQ, and uh, I the the thing is, Games Workshop started off with brilliant intense it started off all those years ago by the guys that first started it you know with a little tiny market stall selling lead figures for dungeons and dragons and stuff like that and it was a very home business and unfortunately over the years over the many many years that games workshop has been a thing obviously it's gotten very very corporate it's gone very very um, we don't care about you know the the customer we just want to make money um, however I do see that changing as of late since new management, there's a new CEO now of Games Workshop. You can kind of see that they're trying to gear it towards again going back to the customer. There's you know the the bundle kits that have come out. There's the um, the start collecting sets which you actually save money on. Yeah. Games Workshop haven't done this for, for for hundreds of years pretty much. It's it's incredible. <laughs> Um, you know the, the savings and stuff—it was almost unheard of. Um, and and again, you know the the, the quality of the kits uh, is is massively massively increased. I mean, I, myself, I'm not the biggest fan of the AutoCAD designs. I prefer you know good old manual sculpted stuff. Um, but you, you can't deny the quality of Games Workshop kits is almost second to none. Um, yeah. right. I think it's. I think over time, I think we might see Games Workshop go a little bit more. I think they might start listening to their customers more and listening to their fan base more. Um, sure. I mean, that could be just be wishful thinking from me, um, but that's where I think it's going with, especially with this new CEO, this new head of Games Workshop in place. Well, I think a lot of people share your sentiment, so I don't think you're alone in that. Um, but you know, on to your work for just another quick second. So, what can we look forward to next? What are you working on right now? What are you excited about? What what, what do you have coming up down the road for us to, to think about? Oh God, um, I, it's very much um, orc dominated, um, okay. really, at the moment. I've got a lot of I've got a. It's just because every time I think I'm done with orcs, something sure. just pops back into my head, and I'm like, all oh, right, okay, yeah. I'll have to make this now because if I get an idea, um, it has to come out. Um, it's, say for example, if I, if it's like nine o'clock at night, and you know my my partner, if she's gone off to bed and stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, time to wind down, I'll be about to get up out of my chair, and an idea will just pop into my head, 
and I'll be like, oh, God damn it, I'm not going to sleep now. So I have to either write the idea down, draw it out, or start making it. Sure. Otherwise, I won't sleep because I'll be like, I, I need to do this. This idea needs to come out. But um, sorry, I, I digressed a no, little no, bit. No, 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 it's okay. Um, I think that's that's exactly <coughs> the case. I mean, do you stuff find that that thing. means you have like a bunch of unfinished projects around your desk that are you start them and you can't projects. quite get to them? Or? <laughs> I've got ridiculous. I've got a shelf of unfinished <laughs> items that every now and again I, I look at and go, ah, maybe tomorrow. Um, <laughs> But okay. uh, yeah, it's um, there's there's orc stuff coming. More, well, loads more orc stuff because I've got um, I've got armies on parade uh, this year at my local games workshop, and um, I'm determined to to get a medal this year. After okay. last year, after I'm, I'm very jaded after last year. Brr, bloody hell! Um, but yeah, so uh, the orc stuff I've got uh, a couple of commissions actually for some big. So again, what I call big gribbly, some big nurgly, uh, hulking monstrosities. Um, and there's a few little bits of projects like I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into Kings of War from Mantic because of the freedom again that I have with that, and it gives me an excuse to get kits that I really like and repurpose them for another game system. So there's sure. there's, there's a little of this and a little of that. Okay. The videos are always constant. Every you know at least at least two or three videos a week. Yeah, it, it, you definitely have a, a good stream going there where people can catch up with you, find out what you're working on, and just, you know, you've got a dense enough video gallery at this point that it's not hard to get a sense for who you are and the work you do. I've almost got 500 videos uploaded on YouTube. Yeah, that's amazing. So, <laughs> um, Okay, well, you've been super generous with your time today. Um, I can't wait to see what you work on next, and we're really you know, glad you were able to talk to us on the show today, so thank you very much. Well, no, thank you very much. For having me, um, you know, if if you if you'd like to, to have me on again, please give me a shout. Um, like I say, you, your best bet, guys, is contact me on my Facebook. Emails never get read because I just get that bogged down with so much spam; it's ridiculous. But if you want to have me on again, that's absolutely fine. I would be more than happy to come on again. Thank you very yeah, much. We, for having we, me. we love to check in with guests every every you know six months or so. So if you have something coming up, be sure to let us know. So, um, JJ, you've been really generous with your time today. We absolutely appreciate you being on the show. Regarding your commission work, it seems like in, uh, so far you've basically been doing that part-time. Is that something you're looking to do more of? Are you, are you looking for more clients? Are you currently accepting clients if people like your work? At this moment in time, I am totally after anybody that wants a nice, big, juicy, nurgle beast. Um, awesome. <laughs> that's basically it. I, uh, I, it's, it's part-time, but, you know, I love doing it, and it creates content for the channel, and it gives me a bit of extra pocket money, and sure. um, it makes the uh, uh, the other half happy as well that I've got money. So uh, yeah, any anybody that wants anything, you know, can give us a shout. <laughs> so if if clients want to reach you, whether it be for Orcs or Nurgle or Dark Mechanicum or whatever or anything really, how should they reach out to you? Should they reach out to you through YouTube, through your Facebook, or? Uh, the best bet is to reach out through my Enter the Wolf Time Facebook page. Um, I've okay. got the Facebook Pages Manager on my phone, so that's how I tend to I can I can talk to you and answer it. Uh, just a quick one about the the, the process. Um, if anybody want, wants to know, it's a case if you guys come to me with an idea, uh, I basically look at that idea, see if it's feasible, um, and yeah, we basically work it out from there. You know, it's a very 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 close knit kind of. The, one-to-one -one basis as to how the project progresses you bounce ideas off me i bounce ideas off you a lot of the times clients just say jojo man go nuts as long as it's this specification as long as it's got this weapon and this weapon i'm not bothered just do it and i'm just like okay they're the best kind of commissions so it sounds like a very personalized very open-ended 
discussion with your clients, which is for people who don't want to go to the bigger studios and they want a more personalized feel, it seems like you would be absolutely the best way to go. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the most personal services that I can offer. Short of me actually coming to your house and having a brew and a cup of tea and a biscuit, you know, okay. and talking with you that way. <laughs> so if they want to reach out to you, they should do it through the YouTube channel then, basically. No, the, the Facebook page. Through the Facebook page, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So you heard it here. If you want to have, if you want to hire a great JoJo man to do any of your personal conversions or that sort of stuff, reach out to him through his Facebook page, Enter the Wolf Time, and we will absolutely put a link in our show notes so that people can find you quickly and easily. Uh, okay, well, guys, we're going to sign off on this uh, wonderful guest. Thank you very much, Great JoJo Man, for allowing us to speak with you today. Uh, we can't wait. We can't wait to see what you're working on next, and we will absolutely have you back on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Have a no good problem. One. You guys hang on for just a quick second. We're going to jump back in with our one-minute ranter gush. We'll be right back after this. Let's be honest. You'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our one minute rant or gush tonight. Um, so um, I'm going to kind of do both tonight. I'm going to rant and gush. This <laughs> so um, basically I'm going to rant on, on Games Workshop. Or not rant, I'm going to gush on Games Workshop. I'm going to rant a little bit on this other company. Mm. Um, so even though, you know, Joe, we were just talking to JoJo and, and he um, has very strong feelings about GW. Many people do. Yeah. But what I will say is that I recently had an experience with their customer service department, and I was blown away. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how, how good it went and how nice it was. And I will also say that they're not the only company that does this. Privateer Press has a great customer service department. Essentially, whenever you do cast models, not on a sprue, but like when you cast them, there's a higher chance for human error. Duplicate parts, missing parts. Makes we've yeah. done enough Privateer Press kits over the years to know that that happens more than I'd like to admit. So they have a, basically you take some pictures, you send them proof of purchase, and they'll send you the replacement parts. And they're really good about it. Um, GW, what they did was um, we recently bought a, um, um, a, what do you call it? It's one of their terrain pieces. It's a... Um, the Gardens uh, of Moor? No, it's a wall of martyrs. It's uh, like a two, it's like a, it's like a double cannon kit. It's like a two giant oh, flat yeah, yeah, guns yeah. on it. Um, I forget what it's called. I don't know. I know what you're talking about. Uh, but it's a great scenery kit. And we bought it because we're doing an LED project as a sample model, and we wanted to make the guns look like they're, they're flashing, like they're firing. And it was a perfect kit for that. And we got it, and it comes with two turrets, and one of the turrets had a duplicate sponce inside. So it was, effectively, you couldn't assemble it. It was impossible. Like, you could assemble three-quarters of the turret, but not the whole turret. And gotcha. so we needed a replacement part. So I emailed them, I sent proof of purchase, and I sent pictures of the missing parts. I said, can you please mail me the replacement parts? They mailed a whole kit. Really? An entire replacement kit. Probably because it's simpler for them. It's yeah, probably easier sense. to just mail a kit than mail the part. Um, and uh, it came wicked fast. I got a response in two days. I had the kit in a week. Could wow. not be happier with it. That's uh, incredible. I don't know what I'm going to repurpose the other parts for. Who knows? Something. Yeah. Um, but, but essentially, they absolutely met my expectations and exceeded them, blew me away. That's fantastic. That kind of customer service is, is, is outstanding, desired, and great. Um, now, Chapter House Studios, who I love their work, you know, a few years ago they were in a, in a legal battle with GW, and essentially it was over, 
you know, copyright infringement, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've continued to use a lot of their bits over the years because they have some great bits. They have some bits that no one else has, and you have to go to them directly. Um, it took me five five weeks ago. I ordered bits from them. I didn't hear back. I emailed them a couple times to say what's going on. Didn't hear back. Didn't hear back. Finally, I get a, a shipping confirmation from them saying, "Hey, we shipped your bits. You know, here's the shipping confirmation." A very lackluster email, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for your purchase on X date, and the X the date was five weeks before. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I got the email, and I emailed them back to say, okay, great, thank you for letting me know. I look forward to receiving them. By the way, can you tell me why this took five weeks to receive models that it looked like you had in stock? Because they have, they have PAR levels on their website. Yeah. It shows you how many shoulder pads or whatever they have. Uh, and they had plenty in stock. Even if they didn't, even if that was wrong, how long does it take you to pour a couple molds? Not five or at weeks. least email you say, "Hey, we're low on stock." That would have we'll been get okay back to you too. In a couple weeks. Like, that's that drives me nuts. That was right. the same thing I had with uh, that atomic uh, whatever that do the stencils. Didn't and what, tell me what bugs me about this is that essentially people went to bat for these guys a few years ago, and now it looks like for for me the customer service is shit. Yeah. So the question is, did we back the wrong dog? Like, did we fight for the wrong horse? Now mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case because of the fact that the win the win. For that land, that that legal lawsuit was a win for all bits manufacturers, not just Chapter House. But Chapter House really let me down this time. And we use their bits a lot. We we used like eighty shoulder pads for that blood that Blood Angels or oh, project. Yeah. If you, was that or what project was that called? It was a um, Angels of Vengeance. Unit. Angels of Vengeance. Yeah, those were those were Chapter House shoulder pads. Yeah. We we sent off. We got like eighty of them. Those came in pretty fast. So I don't know if this is a change in management. Maybe just a shitty worker. Maybe who knows. Hmm. Uh, Maybe it's just they're small enterprises. They can't keep up with that type of stuff. Like, Maybe. Yeah. But regardless of which, there was no excuse not to have at least, like, whatever happened to an apology? Like, yeah. I apologize to clients all the time. Like, even if it's not something that I have, if, if it's not something I did wrong, like, I'm sorry that happened to you. I apologize for that, like, you know, being the case. Like, I'm sorry that was frustrating for you. I'm not saying that, like, I did something wrong. I'm saying that sounds awful. I'm sorry you're going through that. And I think that that human empathy is something that I've noticed. Where did that go? When did people stop accepting responsibility for things? Yeah. I paid them five weeks ago, and I didn't receive product for almost a month and a half. Or even any notification. Or even That's any what drives me crazy. Just like, let me know. What about a simple human like, hey, we're very sorry, we've been very busy. Or, hey, we're sorry, we're a mom and pop operation, and I had a death in the family. Or fucking anything. I don't mm-hmm. give a shit. Just something. So, kudos, GW. Chapter House, what the fuck? What the hell, man? Do you have any uh, rancher gush today? No, no, I don't. Um, I can just agree with... I am interested to know more about the copyright. Like, So, they actually... They want it for bits, you said? Like, so, bits come so essentially, what this, this boils down to is that a few years ago, I think about five now, mm-hmm. Chapter House began producing third-party bits that were usable with GW product. Like, let's say helmets. Yeah. Let's say they created a Spartan helmet... And they would call it something like Space Marine Helmet. So GW sued them, effectively citing copyright infringement. And the case was very long, very complicated, and took several years. The lawyers that defended them did it pro bono. It was a huge thing. But essentially what happened is Capture House won about half of its claims. And now, because of that case, there has not been, as to my knowledge, a case since then in terms of hobby where GW has tried to shut a company down for third-party bits manufacturing. Essentially, the ruling of the case was you can produce... Games Workshop can't limit other companies from producing compatible bits. They can only stop them from using language 
that says it's like, you know, officially designated or officially sponsored by or this is, you know, whatever. Like, I can't call it a Space Marine helmet. I can say Space Helmet's compatible with Space Marines from GW because it is compatible. In the same way that, like, for example, That's interesting, right? Okay. You know, I mean, so they can use the iconography and all that. Like, they no, can, no, they have to develop their own stuff for that. Interesting. Like, they can't okay. develop like technically an Aquila. I mean, you could. It just can't be called an Aquila. It would have to be called something else. <laughs> like, there's nothing that prohibits you from developing an eagle. I mean, an eagle is like, or as long as a know. symbol was possibly like in existence before. Like, they use they take a lot of stuff from like Roman iconography. Mm-hmm. I would imagine the ultramarine symbol, the U, that right. is the standard symbol for Omega. I think. Omega, yeah, yeah, like, okay, right. So, so it, it was a big gray case, but essentially, them winning allowed a lot of bits vendors, you know, people like you know Cyborg and Max mm-hmm. Mini and all those guys to uh, uh, stay in business and to expand operation. But it, I, I don't know. Maybe Chapter House decided it was too much. Maybe the fight was too hard, and now they want to get out of it. I don't know. I'm not for sure. Which would be a shame because they have some good product. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I wasn't expecting much, but a simple explanation is all I wanted. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump in with our outro right after this. Hey, guys. It's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to, like, at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're, like, 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial. Like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information. And until you do, put your manies where your mouth is. All right, guys, that takes us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Um, next time on the show, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Um, essentially, like with summer being upon us, it's kind of our busy season, so to speak. We've, mm-hmm. we've had a, an influx of business, and we haven't had time to line up our next guest. So, if you are interested um, in having yeah. us speak with someone, then email us. Let us know who you, who you think we should interview. Please, uh, yeah, questions, things that you like us to talk about, or yeah. people we'd like to talk well, to. We're gaining a little traction on Bell, Bell of Lost Souls, right now. Mm-hmm. Where their articles are being featured. Um, and they're actually now it's going to have the MP3 playing right there on the page. So I'm hoping this will draw us oh, even more nice. subscribers. Um, you can find us on iTunes. iTunes, just look us up as War Council. You can also find us online at whitemetalgamescom slash podcasts. You can listen to all of our backload of episodes. This is our 30th episode. Um, and effectively the new format started somewhere around episode 11 or 12 with, with Philip and me. So this is about 20 episodes we've done together, give or take. Yeah, well, you said 30 earlier. I was like, woo! Wow, <laughs> we're yeah. already episodes. Time flies. Um, so we want to do another show in a couple weeks, but we're not for sure what we're going to talk about yet. I know that sometime in the near future we're going to do a business mentoring show because now that I've been training up um, you know, Jonathan for about three months and I'm about to give him his first commission, so it's, it's a big deal for him. Yeah. yeah. And um, on top of that, now with the pilot program, I think I'm in a good position to be able to give out um, mentoring advice. So I thought what we would do is we'd provide like a sample. So we would talk um, to you who've been working with me for about a year. Mm-hmm. Talked to Jonathan, who's been working with me for about a quarter, and um, this new guy, um, the new pilot program painter, 
we may get some you know insight into his process so far and just you know ask is is our mentoring program the right fit for you and if it is you know it's cheap it's like 30 bucks an hour buy a skype just give you some advice help you launch your service and um that's really helpful i mean yeah. if anything it's just stressful trying to figure it out on your own or not even knowing what the right steps are so right. even in an hour you can at least kind of get an idea of where i need to be heading right and, and a lot of times these days the market is so saturated mm-hmm. like and i and i know this feeling because i do part-time photography like i do wedding photography and there are so many photographers in raleigh for weddings that it feels like dropping a bucket and dropping a, putting a drop into a bucket and mm-hmm. just watching it disappear. Um, the market is so rich now with so many different conversion artists and painters and shit, mostly who have pages on Facebook. They don't even have yeah. pages, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all I have, <laughs> right? But it's but it can be hard to get lost in the sea. How do you stand out? Yeah, um, it can be discouraging. So yeah. just having a, a someone give you some helpful advice. And so that, even if yeah. it's stuff like talking about how do you optimize your galleries for SEO, how do you launch your podcast, how do you launch your blog, how do you develop your portfolio, like that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people have basic questions, and I'm happy to answer them mm-hmm. um, for thirty dollars an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, next time on the show, guests to be determined, maybe business mentoring. Um, so for this week, that's it for us. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Corn with Brushwork Minis. Till next time, put your minis where your mouth is. Mm-hmm.